Today on the podcast, I have Joshua Erickson back on. Now, Joshua and I had a fantastic, epic five-hour conversation on episode 15. If you haven't heard that, you'll want to go back and listen to that first because it sets the table for the rest of the discussions we'll have on Jewish Feast and Holy Days. On this episode, Joshua and I talk about Rosh Hashanah, what the celebration is in remembrance of, how it's celebrated, and some interesting parallels in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me, and it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation, or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. We got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups, we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So, even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com. So go check that out. Joshua, man, it's great to have you back on. Excellent. Glad to be here. So we, we had that one episode where we talked about the Jewish feast days. And, yeah. and we kind of talked about... Kind of introduced the idea. Yeah. yeah, introduced it. And we just kind of really talked about why it is or why it's important that we should continue to try to uh, keep those and, and keep those in mind. and. We talked a little bit at the end of that about doing an episode for each one of those feast days. Yeah. And so you're back to do that. That's so right. and so what's what's been, the one coming up now? The the next one coming up is is has a bunch of names. A lot of the feasts have a lot of names. And so you may have heard it as Rosh Hashanah. 
mm-hmm. which is uh, Hebrew for New Year. We'll talk about why they call it that. Uh, also, it's known as the uh, Feast of Trumpets or the Day of Trumpets or even a uh, memorial, uh, the Day of Remembrance, it's called sometimes too, or even the Day of Shouting. So it has a lot of different names um, and there's reasons for all that. But that is the next one coming up. And uh, right now, uh, we are in the seventh, actually, wow, um, we're kind of in the seventh month. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know how, uh, you know, a lot of the names of our months, uh, they come from Latin. Right. So. Well, our calendar is the Gregorian calendar, right? Meaning right. the Gregorian months, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah. And And so our calendar is a lot different than the Jewish calendar, right? Yeah, it is. And especially now, uh, but it, it didn't used to be as different as it is now. So let me, let me explain. Um, so which, which month is September? Like which number? It's the ninth month, according to the Gregorian calendar. According to the Gregorian, yeah. But do you know what, uh, the word sept or septem means? <laughs> it means, well, I'll, I'm going to say the next one. How about the next month is Octo? And the next month is Novo, and the next month is Decem. So they're numbers. They are numbers. Yeah, those are Latin numbers <clears throat> for Sept is seven, uh, Oct is eight, Novo is uh, nine, and Decem is ten. Okay. But uh, in the Gregorian calendar, the you know December is not the tenth month. It's now the twelfth month. But uh, it used to be the tenth month. Really? And September used to be the seventh month. And uh, October used to be the eighth month. And But not so anymore. It used to be that, uh, uh, you know, in ancient days, uh, March was the first month. March was when the new year was. It was at the end of March, actually. They, and this, this is, this is, these are pagan things, but like, just like I said, they, they used to be much closer to the biblical calendar. So, uh, the new year was celebrated towards the end of March, and in and they usually they would like have this week long New Year's celebration ending on the first of April. Um, but at some point, um, like 16th century or something, and I don't know all the reasons for this necessarily, but they decided we're going to switch and start celebrating the new year in January instead of in March, and of course there was some resistance to that, so. The official, uh, kind of the uh, the propaganda, I guess, I don't know, was to start, if, if people kind of persisted in celebrating uh, the New Year at the end of March and beginning of April, they started calling them fools, April fools. Huh. And so that is where uh, that came from. But anyway, the, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, um, or Rosh Hashanah, is the beginning of the seventh month, seventh biblical month. And it usually falls in September, which is the... Which used to be the seventh, uh, you know, the seventh, pagan month too. Right. Yeah, right. And and if and you can correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of these jostling around of dates and calendars had to do a lot with trying to uh, the, the Church of Rome just trying to incorporate a lot of that pagan influence, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <coughs> I mean, me. um, I know. Uh, I know January. I mean, January is named after. Uh, the Roman god Janus, right, who has two two faces, one looking forward, one looking backward, and so you know this is um, 
like having New Year's and New Year's resolutions. This is these are ancient traditions that go back to this you know this god you know. So we kind of we look back over the past year and look forward to the uh, next one and we okay and we make resolutions and take stock and and you know those are all good things. But but there is um yeah the calendar's been messed with a whole bunch um, by you know different emperors trying to make carve out a piece of the calendar for themselves like with July and August and um, and you know people. Uh, trying to give their particular gods, uh, you know, preeminence over the other gods, you know, things sure. like that. Sure. So, so there's a long history of all that. But the calendar, um, the calendar has is ancient. In fact, the calendar predates humans being on the earth anyway, uh, because it goes all the way back to the creation. So, if you go back to uh, Genesis uh, chapter one, which I have right here. What Bible is that you're reading out of there? You know what? I have here a comparative study Bible. And it has, uh, in parallel, the King James Bible, the Amplified Bible, the New American Standard, and the New uh, International Version. You know, I I had a buddy back east when I was living back there who had a Gutenberg Bible. That's awesome. The Gutenberg Bible was interesting because it um, put a heavy emphasis on... Um, getting rid of like kings, right? Every yeah. king that was talked about, <laughs> it, it that was. I think sometimes people forget that that the Bible, in and of itself, is really a book of 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 revolution in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. And and people forget that 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 we we kind of tend to paint it in pastel colors, but but that book was the Gutenberg Bible was. I mean, there was uh, a reason the kings hated those Bibles. There was a lot of blood spilt over that. Yep, yeah. absolutely. No, I know, um, I think it was King James. Um, like, I think he requested, I, think, I believe it was King James. Like he, I think he requested the translators to kind of leave out or at least um, kind of smooth over those parts in Exodus when the, the midwives like disobeyed the Pharaoh. Um, but the translators just left it in anyway, you know, much to his chagrin. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the the Bible's not. I mean, the scriptures in general aren't aren't super friendly to absolute monarchs because no, that it reminds yeah. everybody that there's someone even above the king. Yeah, and and even if you look at the New Testament, right? Yeah. Again, we tend to paint Jesus in very pastel colors, right? This is the King of Peace. Yeah. This is the yeah. you know the healer. But if you look at what he's talking about, that is nonviolent. Um, um, protest. That is nonviolent obstructionist protest, right? And uh, it was uh, Gandhi who I who I think had yeah. said, "If if we just copy what's in the Bible, we'll win. Hmm. But we have to do it nonviolently, like Jesus uh-huh. did it." Right? Keep in mind, Jesus wasn't he wasn't liked by any of the power structures, right? Certainly the, not. He wasn't liked by the Roman government. He wasn't liked by the religious authority of his day. So everywhere in the Bible, it 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 really is, you know, this book of individualism, right? This is God working mm. with people and families. This is mm-hmm. not, you know, and 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 even though there's a national covenant, yeah. it's got to start with the individual. It's actually an amazing balance, isn't it? It is. Because it, it is... Uh... Uh, the words in the scriptures, the plan of salvation, as it were, is concerned with every level of organization. Yep. From the individual to the family to the nation. And it's it's a very holistic approach. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep. Whereas, you know, um, yeah, governments, you know, go back and forth between, you know, tyranny and anarchy, where it's just totally individualistic and, you know, can become hedonistic. And then on the other extreme, we have totalitarianism and, and the control and, and, uh, the truth is actually somewhere, in, somewhere the in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. Jefferson had, um, a great quote that scares me to death, by the way. Still, I read it decades ago, but it still scares me. And he said, unlike people, governments and countries don't get an afterlife. So judgment has to fall on the government in its lifetime. Yeah. And then he said something that just scared me. He said, when I stopped to consider certain issues, and he was talking about slavery in his day. He said, when I stop to think that God is just, I tremble for my country. Hmm. And you look at some things like abortion, right? And if that's a human life in utero, which I firmly believe it is. Yeah, amen. We have made the Nazis look like rookies. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? And I think we've surpassed them quite a while ago. And don't get me wrong. I'm super happy that the Supreme Court went ahead and said, hey, we're going to return this power back to the states. Yeah. It's a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction. And as I prayed about it and tried to figure out what it all meant, I think this may be God starting to sort things out, right? Like, there's, yeah, it's a it's sifting, if, right? It is a sifting, right? Because if you live in a state where those states have said, we're going to continue to fund abortion with public dollars, and you're like, yeah, I support that. And you decide you want to stay. Well, now that's a different conversation because now you you have a choice you have a choice exactly and so pro-choice yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah so i i don't i don't think that debate's over and i think we're just about to start seeing some sifting going on yeah dude i'm sorry that was a weird tangent we got on no i love that stuff so um yeah i find so many parallels as we talked about last time you know between the principles that founded this nation and gospel the gospel they are just intertwined yeah. oh yeah it's it, again the founders the early pilgrims they they looked at america as a continuation of the story of israel that's right, that's right. we're gonna get to the pilgrims later on so okay so back to genesis genesis right in right in the beginning genesis chapter 1 verse uh 14 uh and and god said let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. Okay, so there was the three lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And God said right at the beginning, even before man was placed in the garden, uh, that these this is going to be my calendar. These are going to be for days, and for seasons, and for uh, you know, years, and for months, and all those things. Now, in the, uh, in the King James and a lot of other uh, Bibles, that word translated as seasons, the Hebrew is, Moed, that's season, or Moedim. And a perhaps a, a better, or an un, a way to understand that word is an appointed time, or an appointed day. Or in other words, an, an appointment time. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to have this calendar, and there will be, I'm going to put my appointments on the calendar. These are times when I'm, basically when I'm going to do things. And I'm going to, uh, I'm also, there's going to be times when I'm going to meet with you, you know? So I want to make an appointment with you, my people. Uh, and I'm going to give you a place and a time 
put it on your calendar, mark it in, and plan on it. And uh, these are going to be, and we're going to talk about some of the, we, and we did a little bit last time, some of the, the sacred things that God does. But he, he started, this calendar began, uh, like I said, um, way back then. Interesting, um, in the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, sex, this is section 121. Um, and, you know, the Lord is telling Joseph about uh, the future, about when everything, everything is going to uh, be revealed. Um, since, uh, verse 26, um, everything that's not been revealed since the world was until now, which our forefathers have awaited with anxious expectation to be revealed in the last times, um, uh, which their minds were pointed to by the angels as held in reserve for the fullness of their glory, a time to come in the which nothing shall be withheld. Uh, whether they be one God or many gods, they shall be manifest. All thrones and dominions and principalities and powers shall be revealed and set forth upon all who have endured valiantly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also, if there be bounds set to the heavens or to the seas or to the dry land or to the sun or the moon or the stars, and all the times of their revolutions and all the appointed days and the months and years and all the days of their day uh, of their days, months and years and all their glories, laws and set times shall be revealed in the days of the dispensation of the fullness of times. Wow. Yeah, amazing stuff. So, uh, so this is what we're looking at. We're looking at these appointed times. These are, these are things that were in place, and, and I believe firmly in place a uh, long time before Moses. I mean, when we, we talk about um, these things, and we, we sometimes, sometimes Christians uh, will, uh, in, order to, in order to be, I don't know, I don't know if dismissive is the right word, but but we can kind of we can kind of set them aside by calling these things the Jewish feasts, right? Right. Uh, when in reality the Jews are just one portion of Israel, like it's it's more correct to call these Israelite feasts. No, I think you're right, and I I think that's something we even touched on last time was this idea that for whatever reason, as as Christians, we have this idea that we just want to stop what God is saying in the Old Testament at the beginning of the New Testament. And if Joseph's mission was to restore the gospel, well, part of that's restoring everything, right? Not yeah. restoring just what happens when when Christ is born and then going forward, right. but also what's going back. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I think we can, we can actually take this one step further and and remove it from us entirely. These are not Jewish feasts. These are not actually even Israelite feasts. These are the Lord's feasts. These are the Lord's days. They're not even, they don't even belong to uh, people. They were, as I said, these things were in place before Israel was even a nation, before the Jews were a people. Yeah. So back in Leviticus 23, um, this is, Leviticus 23 is one of the kind of the key chapters for, um, Laying out uh, kind of the the year long uh, festival uh, cycle, but right at the beginning, this is verse four. Actually, he says it before that, but I'll read verse four. It says these are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which means a time to get together for a sacred purpose, uh, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. Okay, and then uh, and then it goes on and starts with Passover. And, 
and uh, we go through first fruits and so on. So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. These are these are the feasts of the Lord. So, so I did a little bit of reading before you came over. Oh, excellent! And I could be wrong. I'm usually wrong, and I've grown accustomed to that, so don't feel bad about correcting me. But it was on Wikipedia, and we all know that Wikipedia is the ultimate source well, of the truth. bastion of truth. Yeah, it absolutely is. I One like of the things, what's that? I like Wikipedia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I found on there said that um, there, there's almost kind of like two New Years in the Jewish calendar. Is that correct? That, That's correct. That it, the, there's a lunar New Year that happens in, in again, forgive me if I mispronounce this, uh, Nissan. Mm-hmm. Is that how yeah. you pronounce that? Yeah. And that's uh, about Passover time, that's right? right? And that's kind of the ecclesiastical, so to speak, that's correct. New Year. That's correct. And then there is Rosh Hashanah, which is, again, in the, the seventh month, which is the, quote, civil New Year, right? That's right. So explain the difference between the class, ecclesiastical yeah. um, New Year and the, the civil New Year. Yeah, it's kind of it's weird because uh, the Feast of Trumpets is – the first day of the seventh month. And yet, even though it's the seventh month, yeah, the Bible says this is, or well, the Bible doesn't say, but the tradition is that we observe this as a new year. And so it, it seems weird at first until you realize that we actually do the same thing. Because we have, we have a calendar year. And then we have, and we have a school year, a fiscal year. And we year. have a fiscal year. Yep. Okay. And, and these all start and end at different times. Uh, but they are annual cycles that are not perfectly in sync. And, and you know, the Jews have that too. So it's not that weird. Right. No, no, it's not. The other thing I found fascinating, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is said that uh, Rosh Hashanah was the traditional anniversary or birth date, if you will, of Adam and Eve being That's ushered correct. into into the world. Yeah. Every Every one of the feasts, this is kind of a remarkable thing. A beautiful. This is uh, it, the feasts are the feasts are prophecies. They are uh, they are memorials of past events and and testimonies of those things. And so we're to remember those past events, but they're also prophetic in that they point forward to something else as well. And and all the feasts have both elements, and so that's kind of adds to the richness and the depth. And for this. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Feast of Trumpets, there's a bunch of things that we can remember, but one of them is the birthday of the world. Yeah, the, the, it was when Adam and Eve were placed in the garden on the sixth day, essentially. Excuse me. So, so, and that, uh, that idea is not explicitly, as far as I know, not explicitly in the scriptures. Right. However, uh, we can, it's it's I believe it's correct, and um, and the reason is for uh, the things that Joseph Smith thought basically. Well, and again, having my good friend whose dad was a rabbi, and I had a lot of conversations with him. Uh, we think we we tend to think that everything God ever said to anybody in authority was written down, right? Yeah. Now no. there was a lot of oral tradition that was passed handed down. Long before yeah. it was ever written. And I've always said, I've, I always felt like every Mormon really needed a rabbi, right? Just to, yeah. to gain some understanding. Because there's so much richness that just doesn't come through. Like, 
I'll just give a quick example. Uh, one was, I remember uh, Joel's dad had once told me, he's like, do you know what the real story of, of the Tower of Babel is about? I was like, no, I tell me. He's like, well, go. let's go back and read. And, and in there you read that one of the things the Lord cites as condemnation to the people building the Tower of Babel is that they were united. Hmm. Now, that's a funny thought because God loves unity. Right? When you get down to the definition of Zion, what is it? It's a people of one heart and one mind. Yeah, all that. Right? Well, then why was he so upset at these people who were of one heart and one mind who were building a tower? And you can get into the pride stuff and and all that other thing, but but he I remember he said it's the first time mankind ever trying to communist system and God wasn't (laughs) happy with it. Uh, interesting. And and so yeah, there's there's a richness there, right? Now obviously Karl Marx hadn't been born back then, so uh, but it it was the same system essentially. And that was what he was saying is he's like they were yeah. trying to be the same. So, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I like that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of depth. I mean the scriptures are, are bottomless. Yep. The depth uh and the layers of meaning uh under everything. I mean I'm we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the you know the symbolism and stuff, and it's just we're just gonna scratch the surface. There's there's more than we can talk about. Uh, um, anyway, without getting into an embarrassingly long podcast <laughs> like happened last time, that was awesome. That wasn't <laughs> embarrassing. That was awesome. Okay, good. Well, okay. So um, now we have our we have our normal uh, days, months, years weeks, you know, and there's this annual cycle, but there's bigger cycles than that too. And, uh, you know, the number seven is important in scripture. The number seven means perfection, right? So we have the seven days of creation and, um, you know, we have uh, Sabbath, you know, every seven days, which is to remind us at least in part about, about creation. And then we have um, cycles of seven years as well. These are the sabbatical years. And then there's seven cycles of sabbatical years, and then we have a jubilee. And and so we just get these larger and larger cycles. And you know, Joseph Smith taught, and this this is an ancient teaching as well. This is, you know, it's in apocryphal things. Um, but Joseph Smith taught that the the earth as we know it, the world I should say, the world has uh, is gonna have seven thousand years of its quote temporal existence. Right? And the seventh uh, of that is going to be the millennium, right? right? So, <clears throat> so each of those uh, millennial days, so to speak, you know, thousand year days, those have a beginning, and we know we know when the seventh thousand years is is well. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. We have some pretty good ideas, but. It is definitely connected to the blowing of the of the shofar, blowing of the trumpets, right? At the coming of the Lord, there'll be trumpets blown. Um, we can get to the scriptures in a minute, um, and that's going to basically start the the millennial reign. There's going to be a bunch of stuff that happens with um, Armageddon and and uh, um, and a bunch of visitations and and uh, signs and wonders and all that. But then that's going to be the beginning of of. Uh, Lord's reign on personal reign upon the earth. So that's going to happen. That's going to happen. It's going to be ushered in at least at trumpets. So if the seventh day of earth's existence begins at trumpets, this is what I'm saying is, ah, well, the first day also began at trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. 
Okay. Right? So, and and the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, you know, this is section 77 actually ties those things together. This is uh, Doctrine and Covenants 77, verse 12. This is questions and answers about Revelation. There's a lot of trumpets in, a lot of trumpeting in uh, the book of Revelation. But question verse 12, what are we to understand by the sounding of the trumpets mentioned in the eighth chapter of Revelation? Answer, we are to understand that as God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day he finished his work and sanctified it, and also formed man out of the dust of the earth, even so, in the beginning of the seven thousand years, will the Lord God sanctify the earth and complete the salvation of man and judge all things, and shall redeem all things except that which he hath not put under his power. Um, and anyway, you can go on, but uh, um, but he ties together right there the the creation you know, the beginning of creation, uh, so the beginning of the first thousand years and the beginning of the seventh thousand years, those are the same thing. And it's interesting, he actually um, ties in judgment there too. So for those for those of your listeners who maybe are interested in uh, astronomy or even, you know, even astrology a little bit, and I'm not really into that stuff too much, but it is interesting that the seventh um, sign of the zodiac, which is uh, you know, what is in September, the seventh month, the seventh zodiac is Libra. Hmm. Libra is right. the scales, right? We're talking about <coughs> judgment and justice. Uh, that is the that is the zodiac sign that we're in right now. Wow. Um, so so that just ties in beautifully with uh, what the scriptures say and the symbolism of, of uh, this day. So anyway, uh <coughs> Okay, so yeah, so every so there's all kinds. Of, so you know, what do we? Uh, what are what are some other things that we remember uh, with the sounding of the trumpet? One is the the, uh, the beginning of the earth, something that we're looking forward to. This is the prophetic, is uh, the return of the Messiah. Um, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of beginnings actually. So even though again, even though it's the seventh month, there's a lot of beginnings. So like King David and a lot of kings. Kings are coronated. On, right. Yeah. Uh, on Rosh Hashanah, David and Solomon and some of some of other uh, Israel's other kings were uh, coronated. Then um, we have the actually the beginning of the redemption of Israel. So in ancient Israel. So of course we know when were they? When was ancient Israelites freed? Like what holiday was it? Passover. Passover, of course. But the but that's that's when their redemption was complete. Uh, okay. Their redemption actually began before that, and uh, tradition is, and tradition is, and if you kind of look at the the plagues and how long they would have lasted, you know, because the plagues kind of went and then they got kind of cleaned up, and then, uh, right. then Moses and Aaron came and visit Pharaoh, and he's hardened his heart, and and he's like, okay, we're going to start another plague, and it lasted for so long, and you kind of go back and you can you can kind of see, uh, but tradition says that the plague started on trumpets, started on Rosh Hashanah as well. So that was the beginning of their salvation, and then it was completed at Passover, basically. Wow. So, uh, so that was, um, so that's interesting. Um, and one, and another big one that's kind of important for Latter Day Saints is, and this is an, again a new beginning, is that the Book of Mormon was the gold plates, right, were received right. on the day of trumpets on Rosh Hashanah. And this was, and what's new about that? Obviously, I mean, it's a new, it's a new world, a new continent, right? A new record, a new dispensation, a new revelation. 
um, all these new things. And, um, and not only, not only was, uh, you know, did Joseph receive the plates out of the ground on that day, but the visits from the angel Moroni were also, uh, you know, he'd been visiting with him for four years and he'd, he'd been coming on Rosh Hashanah as well. You know, and it's nuts because there is nothing in history, in the historical record that suggests that Joseph would have known anything about that. Oh, not at all. Right? Because, look, Palmyra, New York is the frontier of that time, right? I mean, it did go out a little further to Ohio. But realistically, I mean, he, you're you're on the frontier. There isn't a large population of Jewish scholars living in Palmyra, New York, no. right? No, not at all. He's lucky enough if he's gotten what I think would be considered a 7th or 8th grade education at this point. And so the fact that... These things just line up as such a testimony builder. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it's uh, it's like um, even if even if man is not aware of God's calendar, he's still using. Yeah, he's still using his calendar. He has appointments on there, and they and he's gonna keep his appointments. Yep, day after day, time after time, uh, regardless. So. Um, I want to go to um, to Colossians. Here, let's see. Okay. Now this is this is going to be uh, this is going to be one of those uh, eye exams like we had last time. Okay. <laughs> whether we whether we read the scriptures with Greek eyes or Hebrew eyes. Which chapter are you? In? Uh, we're in uh, Colossians chapter two. Okay. Okay. Um, and let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to verse 16 here. So this is King James. It says, "Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to an holy day, or of a new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ." Okay. Now, um, so uh, if you if you're looking at this with Greek eyes, actually, I'm gonna read uh, one of the other. So I'm gonna read the NIV. Um, this is interesting. Uh, NIV says, uh, this is verse 17, said that these things, the, the, the festivals and the new moons and the Sabbath days, says these are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So the NIV actually actually translates that as past tense. Hmm. Like these things, these Sabbaths and festivals and new moons, those are a shadow of things that were to come, like that have already been done, like, in other words, that uh, you know Jesus did away with all those things. That's that's the that's the that's how the NIV that's how the NIV it. reads it. Yeah, do but, we know Do we know how Joseph translated that in the inspired version? Uh, it's left, as far as I'm aware, it's left alone. Okay. Yeah. So so in the King James, it actually says a shadow of things to come, future. Right. In other words, there's still there's still things to do to do. Yeah, and we can see that clearly with with the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, for right. example. Just just one example, okay. Um, so uh, so anyway, so yeah, we look at that, and um, you know, you, you look at uh, it's interesting though in uh, in verse eight of that chapter. Like if you again look, look at the context, um, Paul is saying, "Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ." He's warning them against false 
false teachers um, who have philosophies and traditions. And he's, and he's saying, he's talking about these false teachers and he says, don't let them, don't let them judge you about keeping or observing these festivals, <coughs> uh, new moons and so on. And um, because they are a shadow of things to come. Now it is true that the body is Christ, like the substance is Christ. The things that these are all pointing towards um, as Christ and, you know, the work of God. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that that they are meaningless. Right. They are, they are there for that reason. Right. Know? Absolutely. So, okay. Um, so let's talk about, I guess, about the uh, uh, the Feast of Trumpets uh, specifically. Uh, we've kind of already mentioned some things. Uh, but the, the actually the instructions, the instructions given in the scriptures are pretty... Um, Pretty clear, right? I mean, they they are clear, but they're also fairly um, uh, sparse, actually. Really? Yeah. There's not a lot, uh, you know, that says that it's a day uh, to remember and a day to blow the trumpets, and then there's some, you know, there's some sacrifices that are offered, and you know, we, we uh, and you know, we don't. Have, that's not something that we're really concerned with at this point. Uh, but, um, but I have here, um, I have here. Some different shofars, and shofar shofar is the Hebrew word for trumpet. Now, actually, in the scriptures, there's two kinds of trumpets. Uh, there's one that is the shofar, and this is the one that's most commonly mentioned. And this is the uh, the animal the hollowed horn. out animal horn. Yeah. No, was there di- was there different kind of um, animals that would be considered um, appropriate to use on yes. certain holidays? Uh, no. Uh, uh, well, I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, the other kind of trumpet is these uh, metallic silver trumpets. Okay. And they look very much like the trumpet that Moroni is holding on the okay. temples. Okay. So, which is actually, I was going to mention, this is another interesting thing that we we put a trumpet in Moroni's hand when we draw, you know, when we make sculptures or drawings of him as an, as an angel, we put a trumpet in his hand and here he is coming on the Feast of Trumpets to right. tutor Joseph and prepare him to receive the plaints also on the Feast of Trumpets, so. Okay, so back to the animal horns. Um, uh, basically, it just needs to be the horn of any clean animal. Okay. And um, the horns on, uh, so sheep, um, you know, antelope, goats, um, and and I think even cows. Now, the, the the rabbis do not like cow horns. They say we'll we'll have um, we'll have the, the the horns of any other clean animal except for cows because. The Jew, the Jews, as a as a matter of national repentance, basically, say we are not going to use anything related to a cow um, for our worship because of that embarrassing uh, incident with the golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai. So, you know, I it just goes back. Sorry, side note. There's one thing I love about the Jewish people; they don't forget, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that stuff is there forever. Yeah, and uh, sometimes I think. We as Americans or, you know, Christians or however you want to put it, we could really benefit from that example. Yeah, no, I, you know, I don't, uh, I think that's, I think that's fine and that to have that as a tradition. I think that is going to be, um, I mean, they're, they are going to make, they're going to have to make an exception to that at some point. Right. Because they need to sacrifice the red heifer. So right. So they can cleanse the priests and get, and build the temple when it's time. Uh, you know, in Jerusalem. But anyway, but I do have, I do have a, so I'll tell you uh, the different horns I have. I have just a, a ram's horn here and it's curved. 
Um, I have also uh, this long, straight black one. This is from an animal called an oryx. Okay. Okay. And I have this long, kind of corkscrew-shaped one. This is um, from a kudu. Okay. Okay. So this is a kudu buck. And then I also have a uh, Texas longhorn. Nice. So, and I uh, actually... I purchased the other three. I just you can find them online, and uh, you know they were these all came from Israel actually, which is kind of cool. Uh, this Texas Longhorn came from Erda, Erda, Utah. Really? And, uh, there's a guy there who's got a little little ranch, and he said he had uh, Texas Longhorn skulls for sale. So we bought it, and just to have the experience of making our own shofar. So how'd you hollow it out? So good question. I wish I would have brought the. Uh, the other one, there was two horns, obviously. So this is this one we made into a shofar, and the other one is not yet in, uh, into a shofar. So I actually cut this off of the skull, and the hollow part of the horn is actually filled with bone. Right. There's like an extension of their skull Yep. that goes not all the way down, though. So the extension goes to about here, and this horn was actually um, maybe six or eight inches longer. Right now it's, I don't know how long would you say that is. Two, I would guess that would be about two feet. Two feet, maybe two and a, a half, more. Three. Two and a half feet. I would, yeah, two and a half feet. So there was another good six to eight inches more on the pointy end that was just solid horn. Okay, but the the bone doesn't doesn't go quite all the way. So what you do is um, now the bone is connected to the horn, right? With connective tissue, and so uh, but the the bone is also hollow. Like when I cut this off, it was just like. Uh, honeycomb. Right. There's like all these, you know, osseous struts, you know, but uh, but it's lightweight, so the animal can Move lift its up head, its yeah. head and hold it up, right? So uh, basically, what I did is I held this upright um, with the you know the cut end upright. I have to try to describe it for people who are listening. I took uh, pans of boiling water and poured it down into the horn. Okay. And I like cooked the tissue. Okay. And softened it, and then the bone actually just slid out and just oh, twisted, nice. came right out. And then, uh, and then I took, once the bone was out, I took a wire, just like a stiff wire, like a coat hanger, and stuck it down to find out kind of where, uh, where the hollow portion ended. Oh, okay. And then put that on the outside and marked, you know, an mm-hmm. inch away from that or so, cut off the excess on the tip, and then drilled a hole, smoothed it out, and uh, now I have a horn. So I don't have a problem with cow horns, and in fact, you know, I'm an Ephraimite. And, right, uh, and um, in the scriptures, Ephraimites are, uh, um, you know, are the uh, are like a bull with the two right. horns. Yep. Right? So, so this is my Ephraimite shofar. Nice. So I'm gonna blow these. Really? Yeah. You got a question? Can I take a picture of these before you leave, so oh, I yeah, can just absolutely. put it on the website? Yeah, absolutely. So that way, you everyone at home they can they can kind of hear, they can kind of see what these are. Now, Joshua is gonna blow. Blow these real quick. Okay, so the traditional way to blow them is actually from the side of your mouth. Okay. Rather than in the middle. Although you can blow them in the middle too. Uh, but I've never been trained uh, you know, to play the trumpet. My wife, Charlotte, is a trumpeter and she can play these better than I can. But So I'm sitting in the corner of my mouth. This one, okay. this first one is the uh, Texas Longhorn. This is the Texas Longhorn. Yeah. You ever want to wake your kids up with the? You know, I don't wake them up, but we do call them. 
Like, oh, very cool. When they're like out at the neighbor's house or it's time for dinner or time for prayer in the evening, like we'll blow the... Because I'll be honest with you, I'd want to get that right as close to my young man's head as I could <laughs> and let that bad boy rip just to get him out of bed. It probably worked pretty well. Okay, this um, is the... the e- e- uh, this is an Oryx. Oryx, excuse yeah. me. My kids say this, uh, sometimes they'll say it looks like a unicorn horn or something. It's not really twisty, but it is pretty straight. Uh, black, there'll be pictures of it, I guess. Yep. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. All right, I'll do the uh, the ram's horn next. Turn this horn so it faces <laughs> towards the microphone. <laughs> Wow. Okay. That one, yeah, that one was kind of cool. All right. And then we've got the uh, the kudu, and this is this is actually our favorite, uh, my family's favorite form. Uh, really? It makes, and I I can't really do it, but my wife, she can get uh, six notes out of this, so I'm just going to play one. But... That one actually vibrates in your chest. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Huh? That one is cool. So it's funny you say uh, you know you use it to wake up your kids because that's that's essentially what it's really used for, right? Symbolic, I mean, yeah. It, it, like even like realistically and symbolically, the symbol of, connected to trumpets is to wake you up. Okay, and whether that's talking about out of your spiritual slumber or your physical slumber, or even uh, even the slumber of death, right? Because it's a trumpet that will be sounded when for the resurrection of the dead. That's right. Yeah. Paul says, I'm going to show you a mystery. And when the, the last trumpet sounds, the dead will rise from their graves. And yeah. And I mean, that's that's actually throughout the scriptures. That's in the Doctrine and Covenants. That's in the New Testament. That's in the Old Testament. Yep. Um, so it's a. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It, I mean, a lot of uh, I've heard. I don't know if I've. I think I've seen this too, but I know Jews uh, sometimes will put on their grave uh, stones. They'll have a picture of a shofar engraved, just yeah, as a, as a sign of their uh, they're looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. So, yeah, so that's one of the that's one of the things that that's one of the prophetic future things that we're looking forward to is um, is that um, the the resurrection of the dead. So, so so. The horn would be sounded at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, correct? Uh, and even before that, yeah. Okay. And on the day, uh, now, the, I mean, the scripture says to to blow it on that day, and it doesn't say how many times, uh, but there's a lot of tradition around that, uh, which is good. And so the traditional thing is to sound it a hun- hundred blasts, and they they also sound it uh, the whole month, the whole month leading up to, um. The Feast of Trumpets, which is the the month of Elul, okay, the sixth month, which is technically what we're in right now. Uh, right. We're in this, we're in this, you know, the seventh Latin month, old Latin month, and the uh, the sixth um, biblical month. But uh, we, I expect that, by the way, um, I expect to see the seventh new moon to be able to cite it. That's going to be on September twenty sixth, the evening of September twenty sixth. 
Hmm. So that's what's that's what it's going to be this year. And so um, we're having a get together, you know, at my house. Uh, we talked about last time you can get on Facebook. There right. is they, there is a sign up sheet on there right now. So if anyone's interested, um, we'll have room. We got lots of tables and chairs. So go to Zarahemla Foundation uh, Facebook, and if you're interested, it's gonna we're gonna start at like four thirty. I know it's it's a it's during the week, so it's kind of inconvenient for people's work schedules and school schedules and stuff. But um, but that's when it's that's when we're planning on it. So now um, there's there's several different kinds of uh, trumpet blasts that they will do. They'll do um, there's four in particular. These are four traditional ones. There's the uh, tekia, shvarim, trua, and then tekia gadola. So tekia is just the single a single uh, blast, single blast, and these are all going to be. Uh, basically the same length, so it's so techie would be like okay, okay, and then shvarim is about the same length, uh, but broken up into three sections. Okay, so a little shorter, and then uh, and then um, the tr- uh, trua is uh, is like broken up into nine or even more like really short blasts. So it's like this. Wow. Okay. And then we have the, the Tekia Gadola. So Tekia is the first one, it's just the long one. And Gadol Gadol means the big. The big one. The important one. The long one. Yeah. Okay. So, so the Tekia Gadola is like long and loud. That's awesome. Okay. <coughs> now it's cool that the, uh, uh, you know, our our modern day scriptures talk about. Um, it does. It doesn't mention uh, the first three, but the last one um, is mentioned actually a, a number of times. So I'm going to read. Real quick, yeah. before you before you go there, so there were four horn blasts. Now, do yeah. those horn blasts? Um, what do those represent? Right, because I, mm. I I imagine that that there's a prescription for blowing those. Right. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, and I'm I'm going to be a little fuzzy on some of them, but um, they do have they do have you know traditional meanings assigned to them. I know the the uh, the shvarim, which is like the three. Um, broken notes that's that's supposed to uh traditionally that reminds those who are listening to it or those who are playing it of kind of a a uh a sobbing oh, okay uh, a lot of these are like because because the the theme of this time because because judgment is approaching uh the theme uh one of the one of the themes is uh that of repentance okay and so this is you know um so some of the blasts are to are the kind of the kind of thing that you would sh- uh, proclaim when the king is arriving. Okay, that would be like like for coronations and things. So that's one of the themes is uh, is coronation, right? And we are expecting the Messiah as to be to arrive and to be king of Israel uh, in the big sense of the word, um, not just in a kind of the, the, you know Jesus is king right now, right. but. He is not enthroned here personally, reigning upon the earth, right? So that's what that's what we're looking forward to. And then there's also the 
the repentance uh, aspect of it so that you can be really so that you can be prepared for the coming of the king because when the king comes he is going to give rewards you know, right and he's and punishments he's going to separate the sheep and the goats to the right and the left and there's going to be a day of reckoning when the king finally arrives and so hopefully you can prepare yourself and show the king that that, that you will be found doing when he comes right that's what the scriptures say so um okay so um uh doctrine and covenants 88 uh let's see Uh, 94, this again is, is talking about, um, the, the opening, it's talking about the opening of the seventh seal okay. in Revelation, uh, eight. And I'll just read this. I'm going to back up to verse 92 and angels shall fly through the midst of heaven, crying with a loud voice, sounding the trumpet of God. And actually it's interesting, uh, Teruah, so the one of the names for this is Yom Teruah, but Teruah, um, in Hebrew can be, can be translated as this sound of the trumpet, but also it can be the sound of shouting with a loud voice. So here the angels are doing both, right? It says they fly through the midst of heaven, crying with a loud voice, sounding the trump of God saying, prepare ye, prepare ye, or you could say, repent ye, repent ye, basically. O inhabitants of the earth for the judgment of our God is come. Behold, and lo, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him, and immediately there shall appear a great sign in heaven, and all people shall see it together. And another angel shall sound his trump, saying, That great church, the mother of abominations, that made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication, that persecuted the saints of God, that shed their blood, she who sitteth upon many waters and upon the islands of the sea, behold, she is the tares of the earth, she is bound in bundles, her bands are made strong, no man can loose them. Therefore, she is ready to be burned, and he shall sound his trump both long and loud, and all nations shall hear it. What there. scripture was that again, Joshua? Doctrine and Covenants eighty-eight ninety-four was the last one. So that is that is the Tekiagadola. Shall sound the trumpet both long and loud. That's the final. That's the final note. You know. That's the last one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then it says, "Then there'll be silence in heaven and all that." But um, but yeah, the trumpet is to wake us up. So there's, there's a, there's actually a, a beautiful parable. Um, I mentioned that the, the, the Jews start preparing for Rosh Hashanah, uh, for the entire month preceding it, the sixth right. month, uh, which is, you know, the months are like 30 days. So, um, they have this parable, uh, that's really beautiful. And it goes, the parable goes like this. Uh, there was a king who left his kingdom and he was out traveling the world far and wide. And, uh, but when he came back from his long absence, um, he walked through the villages and the towns of his realm and even walked through the fields where the people were working and uh, went out to meet all of his subjects because he loved them. And, um, and he would talk with them where they were while they were working and, um, and would hear their requests and tell them that he would grant their requests and, um, and, and, uh, you know, for, for his love for them. But, uh, and they all followed him and, you know, you'd follow him to, uh, the capital city and to the palace. But when the king goes in the palace, then the gate is shut. 
the king goes in to uh, his his uh, his corridors and his courts and his throne. And when the king is on the throne, then and in his throne room, uh, not just anyone can visit with him or talk with him. Only only uh, only a very select few. You know, you have to make special requests, and there's all these legal and procedural things and you have to have the right clothing on you have to say the right words and there's these formulas mm. and, and all of this all these things to get past the uh you know the the guards and the and the uh the king's ministers and so on um and so and so that that's 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 you know just to to visit the throne room and see the king is is a, a frightening thing even right i mean you could if if the proper procedures are not carried out you could die right, right? i mean this is like Queen Esther, right? <clears throat> but when the king is in the field, then he puts aside all of these formalities and he visits with his people. And and that is the time to meet the speak king. with the yeah. king, to meet with the king, to make your request of the king when when he is out among his people. So um and and so they say the month of Elul is when the king is in the field. Like the king, yet he is coming on, and he will be in his, uh, on his throne in the palace, on the feast of trumpets. But before that, when he is arriving, he will he will meet his people. And so, hmm. so this month right now, this sixth month, this is when the king is in the field, and now is the time to make your requests and to get right with God, because, uh, because like I said, this. The coming of the king is also associated with judgment, and so the again the tradition and there's there's scriptural backing for the tradition. The tradition is that on uh, on Rosh Hashanah that the king is not only in his palace but in court, and court is in session. And he says the books will be opened. Wow! And and, uh, and the books there'll be there'll be three books opened. There'll be the book of life and the book of death. And then there'll be in, like an intermediate book, and uh, and everyone's name will be gone through, and there will be there will be an adversary who will be accusing, um, and there will be an advocate who's speaking for, and then the, and the king will decide. Make, decide which whether to whether to uh, take your name out of the book of life and put it in the book of death, or vice versa, or maybe you're in the intermediate case, and um, and the tradition is that. Uh, the books are opened on Yom Teruah, and they're open. And then the king is in court for ten days, until uh, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, and that is when the judgment is made final. The books are closed and sealed, and so, <clears throat> so you want to make sure that uh, that you talk to the king and get yourself right uh, before uh, before your fate is sealed, basically on wow. on Yom uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Just so rich and so deep, and it's oh, it's amazing. Um, so the this idea, this idea of the Book of Life. I mean, you've <coughs> you've heard of that before, no doubt. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, um, uh, the really the first the first mention of this is in the Book of Exodus. Okay, this is Exodus uh, thirty two. Verse thirty-two, and this is—I mean, this is talking about that embarrassing moment with the uh, the golden calf that we mentioned earlier. And Moses goes up to the mountain to intercede 
right? For Israel. Yep. And he, he says, um, um, this is verse 31, Exodus 32, verse 31. That's where I'm starting at. Moses returned unto Jehovah and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, uh, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore go now and lead the people unto the place which I have spoken. But, um, um, you know, so, I mean, the people got punished, but uh, but ultimately, ultimately they were forgiven. But their, uh, Moses in his intercession says, you know, if, if you need to take someone, then take me and blot me out of the book of life. You know, it's so interesting. Uh, I, I recently got done doing a really deep dive into the five books of Moses. And it, my scriptures are just colored because I find it so fascinating. But one of the things that surprises me is from um, the time Moses starts really leading the people out of Egypt, right? Moses intercedes so often <laughs> on their behalf, right? Where he's like, no, 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 you know, go easy on them, right? And 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 you you often think of Moses because of, well, I think because of Charlton Heston, right? And the yeah. Ten Commandments says yeah. the lawgiver, which right. he was. However, there's a lot of times Moses is like running interference between the people and the Lord, right? Where he's yes. like, no, 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 this, this, this is kind of on me. You know, if you're going to punish him, you got to punish me. And, and the Lord is like, okay, fine, fine, but get him in line, right? right? And, and I find it interesting because you really get a good feel for who Moses is during that time. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he was, uh, uh, he was the right man for the job. Yeah, he was patient. Super patient. Yeah, meek above all men. I think that's what I think the scriptures say that somewhere Moses was yep. the most meek. Yeah. Um, and yeah, patient. Um, there's actually an interesting uh, Jewish tradition I heard not too long ago, but I think is worth repeating. Like, I, I loved it when I heard it. Um, of course, you know, Moses was disqualified from entering the promised land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, yep. do you remember the, I, the episode that? The the uh, that caught that that disqualified him. I don't. It was uh, the second time that they were that God was going to provide water from a rock, and he told he told Moses, "Speak to the rock, and water will come out." But Moses, uh, the people are com all complaining, of course. Um, but rather than speak to the rock, Moses doesn't follow the instructions and actually. Smites uh, it. Smites That's the rock, right? right? Yep. Um, to uh, get it to obey, so to speak. And and God's like, oh, that was like you directly disobeyed me, like I just told you. So, but um, the Jewish story that is associated with this is that Moses heard what God said and understood it, and uh, was looking into the future, you know, thinking in, thinking forward. And realized, if I just speak to this rock and it obeys, God is going to use that against the Israelites. Because yeah. he's going to say, look, even a rock, like you just speak and it obeys, but I speak to you and you don't obey. 
And so Moses says, I'm actually going to hit the rock so that it's more, so that, so that God can't, you know, um, use it as a, uh, use it as an insult to the Israelites later on. Right. And, um, and I know, and, and I know that I'm going to, be disqualified from entering the promised land and I will have to stay out here. But there's millions of my fellow Israelites who are also uh, not going to uh, make it back into the promised land. They're going to be buried out here in the wilderness. And so I want to, when the time comes for the resurrection, I want to be uh, in the wilderness too and gather up all those, all those uh, people who didn't make it and, and bring them in so that I can actually Bring everyone in, you know. So right. this is the it, get it, emotional just talking about, but it, it's, yeah, it's exactly it's, what I don't know if that's. I mean, it's a, just a tradition, but it's exact. It's perfectly in keeping with Moses's character that's described, right? I, I think I think a lot of times when you're dealing with with you know the oral history like yeah. that, and and even the apocrypha to a large degree, there's just sometimes that 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 old saying, the truth has a certain ring to it, right? Yeah. And and I think sometimes you gotta let the spirit work when you're when you're diving into some of that. And as you read what he's like in the scriptures, he's he's very much the you know kind of a proto Jesus, right? I mean, he is oh, absolutely he the is, types and shadows. He's are the type and shadow of what's to come. And and even though he's the lawgiver, you still get glimpses of Moses' love for that people. Yeah, that that is beyond words, and and the story you told is just another uh, testament of that. Yeah, amazing. So, um, so how do we celebrate? How do we celebrate this? Um, you know, a lot of this is uh, tradition, but it's like I said, it's beautiful tradition. Traditions are necessary because because the scriptures don't fill out everything, you know. And hopefully, I made it clear last time. Like, I don't have a problem with traditions per se, only when the traditions kind of supersede or contradict commandments uh then then that's when it becomes a problem but anyway so we usually have a uh i mean one thing is uh blowing the uh blowing the shofar okay mm-hmm. and you know we think of all the things that are associated with that um you know the the raising of the dead the coming of the lord um we think about actually the very first time the shofar the shofar is mentioned is at Mount Sinai. The very right. first time the shofar is mentioned, it says God comes down, the mountain's like on fire. So all this smoke and lightning and thunder, and they and the people also, it says, they hear this, the blast of the shofar get, getting louder and louder. And it's very fearful, you know. Um, but that's, that's the beginning. So there's <clears throat> actually two times, uh, interestingly, two times when uh, when God himself blows the shofar. And one has already happened, and that was at Mount Sinai. And the second is going to be uh, at the coming of the Lord. Um, so, and that's in, um, maybe, maybe I'll read that first, if that's all right. Yeah. Okay. God will blow the shofar. And actually, this, is, this actually ties into uh, the binding of Isaac. Too, which is another one of the the big themes. Now, um, from all historical accounts and and in the symbolism too, uh, we're pretty sure that that actually that actually happened at Passover. Okay. Abraham and Isaac um, going up to Mount Moriah to 
perform the sacrifice, and then there was a, a ram caught in the thicket, right? Sacrificed instead of Isaac. Of yeah. Isaac, yeah. So there's, I mean, obvious um, you know, symbolism of the Messiah there. But uh, the Jew, again, the Jewish tradition says that that ram says that ram, uh, which is a type of Christ, was prepared from the foundation of the of the world. world. Yep. Which is exactly what uh, Revelation and the Book of Mormon say about Jesus as well. That he was the lamb slain from before the foundation. Right? Or prepared from before the foundation. So, but anyway, but they say that um, the connection with the connection with uh, Rosh Hashanah is uh, multiple, but um, one of them is that this shofar that Abraham killed, like that, that the two horns of the shofar of the ram were turned into shofars and one was blown at Sinai and the other one would be blown at the second coming. Basically. So it's just so amazing just to see the parallels and the consistency. Yeah, it's amazing. At which it just starts in the beginning and just continues to go. The Lord does not miss a beat. And that's something I think we should take away as, as Mormons or Christians or Jews or whatever it is, right? Anybody who worships the God of a, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that he's consistent, right? 100%. He is consistent. There's a love and a concern there. We just need to do our part. Yeah. And even when we don't, just get back on on the trail, man. Get back on the path. Right. Uh, and, and it... <clears throat> It's comforting, and and it just fills me with with a gratitude to my God that He is the way He is. Amazing. Okay, I'm going to read. Uh, this is in First First Thessalonians chapter four, and we've all probably heard this before. But um, let's see. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to. Let's see, verse sixteen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we be ever with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So we've probably heard that before but uh, Paul wasn't, that actually wasn't, uh, no doubt he had revelation about that. But that was not a new idea of the Lord uh, coming from heaven with the, the shout and the sound of a trumpet. Like I said, the, the Jews have that in their traditions as well. And that's not only tradition, that's also scripture. So this is in Zechariah chapter 9. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 13. This is actually really, 13 pretty awesome. Okay. It says, uh, the, Lord is, the Lord is basically... Um, describing himself as a warrior and what he's going to do to the nations. And he basically says that there's going to be a contest between uh, the Israelites and which he calls the sons of Zion and the Greeks. There's going to be a contest between Israelite ideas and Greek ideas in the last days. And he says, um, when I have bent Judah for me, and filled the bow with Ephraim. In other words, he's saying, Judah is my bow and Ephraim is my arrow. Right. And they are going to work together. And he says, uh, and raised up uh, thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece. And I will make um, I will make Zion as a sword of a mighty man. So, and then verse 14 says, 
and the Lord shall be seen over them, right? So in the clouds. And his arrow, that was Ephraim, shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. Um, and the Lord of hosts shall defend them. And they shall devour and subdue with slings of stones and all that. So anyway, um, so so that's 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 kind of what we're looking forward to there. So the, the trumpet, so when we hear the trumpet sound, uh, we remember uh, what has already happened. We remember the fall of Jericho. We remember that the trumpet was blown to wake people up. The trumpet was blown to get the camp of Israel to move, to prepare for war, um, to warn of uh, impending danger. All those things are all tied up in the symbolism. Um, and then there's also the future things which we've mentioned, the coming of the Lord and the resurrection. Um, the Book of Mormon and all of the events of the unfolding of this dispensation are all tied up in that as well, um, and then also uh, and then also judgment. So now the other thing, the other thing that uh, that we do, and this is tradition, um, is be- because it is the new year, and because we have um, been repenting, and hopefully we're we're looking forward to being in God's good graces, and we're looking forward to having a good year, good new year, and so. Um, one of the things that uh, is done is uh, people eat fruit and honey, apples and honey, right? Specifically, yeah. ansel apples or uh, or quince and honey is another one. Apples and honey is more common, but uh, it's interesting when the when Lehi and his party are they've been wandering through the wilderness for eight years and they arrive at the land bountiful and they are rejoicing and stuff and they're ready to make their you know getting ready to make their journey. Of course, they it takes a while to build the boat and stuff, but but uh, Nephi describes. Land of Bountiful is having uh, fruit and honey, right there, and so this is uh, at least reminiscent of of, of Rosh Hashanah, yeah, symbolism and the and the joy that they felt there. So we have we have kind of a kind of a um, a, a seder, so this a meal. It's not it's kind of like the Passover, um, but the symbolism is a little different. And basically, we'll have all these different different foods that we eat, um, dates. Carrots, leeks, spinach, cucumbers, pomegranates, and apples dipped in honey, and uh, you know those things all represent these different uh, different blessings, you know. And so I'll actually I'll just read some of them. Um, let's see. So and these are uh, in in Hebrew. Uh, these these are basically puns, right? So the the name of these different foods is kind of similar to uh, the thing that the blessing is about. Okay. So and I, I'm not gonna I don't have the Hebrew in front of me. So but but anyway but for uh, for the dates you know we eat the dates and we say may it be thy will you know oh God that this year be peaceful for us and for all the world. Okay and for carrots. Uh, may we be su- blessed with sufficient for our needs, and with the leeks, may we be blessed with friendship, and um, spinach, may we be blessed with freedom from all oppression, and and so we kind of go through these things, asking God for uh, for His blessings for the coming year, and and then um, uh, and, you know, and then we'll you know, there's a prayer that we kind of you know ask you know, please God, you know, put us in, put us in put us in the book of life, seal our names in there. And you know, inscribe and seal us, and um, and that's kind of the closing. And then, and then we'll of course uh, we'll go look for the new moon too, right? Because we expect it to show up. Now, this is actually interesting too. This is I forgot to mention this, but uh, all of the other festivals, uh, all of the Lord's feast, they're uh, some 
somewhere in the middle of the month. You know, Passover's on the 14th day. Unleavened bread starts on the 15th. Uh, Yom Kippur's on the 10th. Uh, Feast of Tabernacles is on the 15th, starts on the 15th. And so, um, once you know the beginning of the month, then you can you can make plans because you got a couple of weeks to you know invite guests over and make preparations or whatever set out the table you know to get have your feast there is one feast though that you are not sure what the day nor the hour will be uh, when it begins and that's first and, wow. that, and that's because it is the first day which means um biblically means I mean, the first day of the month begins when the new moon is sighted. Hmm. And, um, you know, of course, the moon goes through its, its right. phases, right? Um, from new moon to full moon and back to new moon. Um, but the, the, the moon can be dark for a day or two days before it is becomes visible. And also there's the possibility of clouds or right. dust in the air or whatever. And so... That may obscure the sighting of the new moon as well. And so there's going to be, you know, somewhere between one and three days of actually uncertainty uh, about when this holiday is. It's, it is the one holiday that you are not sure of the day nor the hour. Now, now this is some interesting parallel to interesting the parallel of become a man, right? To I the mean, coming of the son of man. He says, yeah, no, yeah, this is in, what is it? Um, Matthew 24, I think it says. No man knows the, the day nor the hour, you know, except for my, not even the angels, except my father. Um, and that's because it's tied to the symbol. That's another piece of the symbolism of this, this feast. Yeah. So we will, so we're planning on a meeting, like I said, on the 26th uh, of September. We expect from, you know, based on astronomical calculations, we expect to be able to see the new moon then. Right. Uh, but you never know, you know, if clouds show up, um, that might. We might have to, it might be, we might, when we've done this before, we've celebrated it and then we were a day too early and it actually came the next day, you know, because <laughs> we can't be yeah, sure. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. So, so that's one of the, it's kind of fun. Um, Absolutely. Um, but it fits right in the symbolism of the day. So, and, and in some ways that would instill a sense of, of vigilance, right? Around that time. Oh, and that certainly, is exactly And right. certainly in the last days, these days, we need to have that same sense of vigilance of looking, of watching, of watching, for the watching. Signs. yeah, and and anticipating, right? I would anticipating. say anticipating, yeah. and and um, yeah, they're it's just so rich and deep in its symbolism. It's amazing, it is. So, um, uh, now the as I said, the oh, I was going to read one more, uh, one more verse, um, just talking about the the books. The book of life and all of that. Um, and then and then we'll move on to the next this will move on to the next uh, the next holiday, but um, Revelation chapter twenty, verse twelve. John's vision, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So it says books books were opened, and the book of life was one, but it says other books, two, plural, 
So, uh, yeah, so there's, there is a book of death as well. And there's maybe an intermediate book and, and who knows what other books will be. There will be a book that has probably your life's doings, you know, and there'll be, uh, there'll be a book of, that's the scriptures and say, this is what the commandments were. And you, you know, these were printed and written and everyone knows. Right. So anyway, wow. so that's the, that's the idea. So let, let me ask you a question here before we move on to the next holiday. Let's talk real quick about where someone could go to find how to celebrate the holiday, right? I mean, it's one thing to know that it's there, right? And maybe a couple of the customs, but is there a prescribed way of doing it? I mean, where, where do you go to find that? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of good books about uh, the holidays from, from a Christian perspective. Um, um, one, let's see. I mean, I have this one, and of course, there's. I don't agree with all the things that are in any of the books that I've read. Sure. So don't take uh, my endorsement as you know endorsement of everything. But this one's a really good one. This is by this is from an LDS perspective. It's called The Lord's Holy Days, uh, by uh, Lene Hadley Reed. So. Okay. Um, um. There's another one I have called The Feasts of the Lord. Um, there's a website called Hebrew for Christians that has a lot of good kind of Hebraic background for the feasts and also, but also presenting them, uh, you know, in light of, of, you know, Christian ideas about Jesus and how he's, how these things point towards him, um, as well as to things past, as well as to things that have yet to be fulfilled. So. Um, those are some good, those are probably some good resources. And then of course, um, um, if you're, if you're in Utah, you know, and you'd like to check out the Zarahemla Foundation's, um, celebrations of these things, we'd love to have you. So, so is, is there anything with Rosh Hashanah that, that really, um, what is it that you take away from it every time you celebrate it? Um, it's, it's a, uh, that's a good question. You have to, you ask good questions, Dave. I try. <clears throat> that's part of being a good interviewer. So anyway, I think, uh, um, it's really this, I mean, it, it's similar. It's similar in a way, all, all the feasts are similar in a way, uh, is that they just are reorienting. Because we go through life and we deal with our, you know, drama at work with our coworkers and with our boss, and we have you know troubles with our neighbors and troubles with our families and troubles with ourselves and our own struggles and you know sicknesses and all kinds of things that are necessary to deal with, but at the same time are also distractions, right? From where our focus should be, and so I love I love the feasts because they are a uh, scheduled, um, steady uh, reminder to reorient myself to uh, to God and His ways and His words, and to take stock of my life, make sure I'm I have my priorities straight, and um, and really it's it's cool because uh, there's a lot of active pieces to celebrating the feasts 
you know, we it's real easy to, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not discounting this, okay, but it's real easy to go to church and to remember when we take the sacrament, you know, someone else provides the bread and the water or right. the wine to us, and we just sit there and we take a little, it's, it's, the effort on our part is very minimal. And so, and as a consequence of that, it's also easy to let that slip our minds as soon as we leave that sacrament meeting, you know, and we just are faced with the rest of our lives. But when you celebrate a feast, you know, there is like the Jews like prepare for this for a month. And then there's all the preparations that go into this. You, you know, you have to, I mean, to throw, I mean, anyone who's thrown a party knows that it, yeah. it's not just the day of, like there's planning that goes on weeks before and preparations that go on days before and, and, uh, and hours of, of, uh, you know, set up and clean up the, the day of, and all of that is like, it just, I think a, a bigger reminder, um, at least for me, you know, maybe I'm just slow, you know, but, uh, but it just, it takes up, a, it takes up a doing these feasts. It it really does take up a significant portion of my life. It's not a spectator sport, right? Yeah, that's right. You've I don't... got to get in there and you've got to get her done. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, for weeks, the week before, uh, the week before each of these feasts, like we start um, just like, we we start, we have, we have a, play, a YouTube playlist. I'm bumbling over my words. We have YouTube playlists that deal with Feast of Trumpets or Yom Kippur or Passover. And, uh, you know, every once in a while, we'll, you know, for the week before, we'll just play this playlist. And there's all these songs. Some of them are silly. Some of them are serious. Some of them are like short little like lectures or speeches about symbolism. And, you know, we'll just watch those as a family or they'll just be on while we're doing our housework or whatever. So we're like getting into the spirit of these things for, you know, at least a week. And, uh, and that's. My my kids look forward to that too. They're all, they're like, can we start the uh, you know the nice. Yom the Yom Kippur playlist? You know, we, I'm like, no, we're not, we're not. You know, we're two weeks away still. Whatever. Right. So, so it's fun. It's fun, and the, and the whole family gets involved. You know, so that's fun too because I mean one of the one of the most and I've mentioned this before. Um, I think because there is there is definitely these parts these parts of the gospel there's there is the melchizedek stuff and there is the aaronic stuff and i think there is definitely overlap but in general the melchizedek stuff is dealing with spiritual aspects and the aaronic stuff is dealing with physical temporal aspects right i think the scriptures make right. pretty good. yep <clears throat> uh, but we we sometimes forget i think about the the physical stuff about making we we think so much about um, um, making ourselves w- w- with the Melchizedek emphasis on things, making ourselves holy, which is good, and making ourselves uh, right with God and stuff. But uh, the ironic side is to make make our uh, make our the space we live in holy. Make our our house our home holy. Make our family holy. Make our nation holy. Make you know we is this idea of holy space, and um, and the the ironic the ironic idea and we're we're going right into Yom Kippur here. But the ironic idea is um, we make 
earth holy. We make the tabernacle or whatever. We make this place sacred so that God can come down and be among us. The Melchizedek idea is, uh, is God makes us holy so that we are fit to rise up to his presence. The ironic idea is we make the earth holy so that he can come down and be with us. And, you know, really, <sighs> and we need both because we want we want heaven and earth to come together. Yes. Yes. I was I was just going to say that that exact thing. And also. It's one of the things I loved about reading Joseph Smith was this idea that that your humanity can be holy. Right. You don't have the, just the smacks in the idea. In the, smacks the face of the traditional view of, of of your fallen nature, and there's nothing you can do about it. The best you can do is, you know, throw yourself down and beg for mercy, which we all have to do to a certain right. extent, anyway. But there's and this, our bodies are are disgusting and, un, yeah, right, and yeah. we want to we want to shed those right. And so when yeah. when when Joseph begins talking about this idea of no, the 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 body is something that you will carry with you, you know. During resurrection and throughout your throughout your eternity, yeah, right. There's a harmonizing of that, and and in some ways it it not in some ways it very much harkens back to that idea that you were just expressing. What would you say to someone who's like hesitant about about this? It it maybe depends on the reason because people have different reasons. I guess. I mean, um, one one um. So one common objection, not objection, but hesitation, I guess, is that it's so new, mm-hmm. right? People are just like, I don't, I don't really know what to do. I'm not really, and people, are, and it's, it's an uncomfortable, honestly, to do something that is new. That is new. Yeah, exactly. And that doesn't, that has, that's true across the board. So, um, you know, I just say everyone, you just have to remember everyone's new at everything at some point, right? There's, so. So it's I, not. It's not really. It is. It is. It is uncomfortable. And that's all I can say. Is yep. You're right. You're right. It's going to be uncomfortable, and you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, but that's uh, that's not a reason, right? Not to do something, right? That's that's just a reason to all you know, get started sooner because then you'll enjoy the benefits of it more once you do get into the swing of things, so to speak. I remember Joel had invited me over for Passover. And I was, I was nervous. I was like, are you sure you want me there? I mean, I'm Gentile and, you know, he's like, no, this, this is, come, this is for everybody, right? And what I find interesting now is that we're in a day and age now, and it wasn't this way when I was hanging out with Joel, but there was a day, we live in a day and a time now where there's this idea of cultural appropriation, Mm -hmm. Right. And and so I look at that and I'm like, is that just a barrier? That, is that uh, just a barrier so we don't engage in each other's stuff, so to speak? Yeah. Because if we did that, well, you, you get to know who other people are. Yeah. A lot a lot sooner. Interesting. I like that. And so I I, I think a lot of people are nervous because is that proper? Is that in keeping with propriety? And I'm I I would just say that. That's a recent invention, right? I mean, yeah. I think there was a natural flow of ideas for a long time. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I would say to the cultural appropriation idea too, like, I mean, for, for most of your listeners, 
most of your listeners are going to say, yeah, I am an Israelite. Right. And so if you're an Israelite, then why don't you do Israelite, Israelite things? things? Yep. If you are the children of Abraham, do the works of Abraham. Yeah, let's do it. Because right. God is, and it doesn't matter if you don't, if you don't uh, respect his calendar, God keeps his calendar anyway. Yeah. And, yep. and, and those, all those feasts, yeah, they look, they talk about, they, they commemorate things in the past. It's true. They commemorate things that have already happened in Jesus, but they are not, God is not done with this calendar. So, yeah. so get on board. And the other thing is too, um, everyone, everyone else who's, uh, mostly everyone else who's, uh, interested in these things or celebrating these things, uh, they started out not knowing either. And nobody's going to be like laughing at you or snickering that you didn't know that you didn't know all the stuff that they know now or something. You know, everyone's going to be happy to see you come to a celebration or if you do a celebration, you know, if you're, if you're unsure, uh, you know, just celebrate at your own home and do a little thing with your family and you know, get on Hebrews, uh, Hebrew for Christians, like I said, and um, uh, you can look up articles. There's plenty of articles about, uh, Rosh Hashanah and the Book of Mormon, you know, so there's this unique Latter-day Saint tie uh, to this festival. And there's just, there's just so much information and there's so much information at our fingertips that. Yeah. Yeah. No. And really, I don't think we can understand Mormonism or Christianity at the depth it deserves to be understood without understanding the forerunners of that. Absolutely not. And and so if if we're going to understand it, we got to go back to the family tree. We have to understand the progenitors. Actually, yeah, you know these the feasts are actually um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> the feasts are actually an endowment of sorts. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's so in in the endowment, you know we 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 learn about, and in fact it says as I say we learn about things that happened to Adam and Eve. And uh, in the endowment, it says you are supposed to consider yourselves as though you were Adam and Eve. You are experiencing these things. And why are we doing that? It's because because we want the blessings that they had. And so we're like taking that upon ourselves and saying, I want to experience those things. And as a result, have the blessings that they had. And the same is true with, um, with the Passover and these other. The Passover is explicit, though. The Passover says when says when you teach your children about these things, it says, and, and you're supposed to teach these things to your children forever, but forever throughout your generations, generations and generations removed from the actual Exodus, still you are supposed to tell your children, these are the things that God did for me when I was a slave in Egypt. Even even if you weren't there, you say, this is what God did for me when I was there. I was in Egypt. And then you teach that to your child, and they tell their child, this is what God did for me when I was in Egypt. And so on. We we want to slip into our ancestors' shoes, so to speak, have you know, their experiences, and have their blessings. There is no, I, I think what you described there, there may not be a better way of describing the hearts of the children turn to their fathers. You are going to experience exactly what they experience. And in so doing, you will gain a better understanding of who they are. Just like with the temple ceremony, 
ultimately we are turning our eyes, our hearts back to the the Father, right? And in these Paso, in, in these Jewish festivals, there is this idea of just like you were saying, a type of of endowment mechanism, if you will, where you are experiencing what they experienced, and that turns. That's the only way we can really have sympathy for somebody, right? Yeah. I mean, we can have a superficial sympathy. Um, you know, my wife's father passed last year. And my father passed when I was 13. And she said, until my dad passed, yeah, I couldn't understand, right? She said, Cannot. I could see the pain and I had sympathy for you. And I had, I understood that was hurtful. But she said, until I experienced it, then I didn't understand. I think just like the endowment, just like, and like these feast days, this gives us an opportunity, an opportunity for um, experience, to experience what it is they went through. And in doing that, we have a better understanding, not just of what they endured, but the miracles that they received. Yeah. And we can then turn and expect the same sort of yes of of behavior from God towards us. Yep. And uh and transmit that to the next generation. Absolutely. Well dude, that was awesome. Did we miss anything on uh No, that's great. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, let's come back and let's talk about uh, uh Feast of Tabernacles. That's oh, next, right? We'll do Yom Yom Kippur is next actually. Yom Kippur. Okay, sorry. See, I'm a novice. So, awesome. <laughs> no, that's okay. Thanks, man. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye.